Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with a Slate spoiler special podcast on duplicity. Joining me is John Swansburg, our culture editor. Hi, John. Hi, great to be here. So uh, let's get into duplicity here. It's the second film directed by Tony Gilroy, whose first movie was uh, Michael Clayton last yes. year, um, which you recently resaw. You told me I right? did. I saw it on uh, television. Uh, so you're you're fresh with with Michael Clayton in your mind, right? Uh, fresh with Michael Clayton love. I, I uh, really enjoyed the movie when it when it came out. Um, I saw it in the theater and then saw it again on TV. Was was wondering whether it would hold up in a second viewing, but it was. I enjoyed it as much, if not more, the second time. And so you and I were both really psyched to see Duplicity together the other night, and yes. somewhat disappointed walking out. Yeah, I think we were both we were both pretty disappointed walking out. Um, I don't know. I had the feeling I, I, I had the feeling that I was in the hands of uh, someone who was a very talented screenwriter and uh, a good director, and I had more fun than I have had in some other recent movie going experiences. But I didn't. It was not a step forward from Cl- from Michael Clayton, I don't think. But you wouldn't disrecommend the movie to people who are curious about it? No, if people were curious about it, if you're a huge Clive Owen fan, if you are uh, a huge Julia Roberts fan, I mean, I think you and I are not huge Julia Roberts fans. In fact, if anything, she was sort of, uh, her presence in the movie was something that made me a little bit uh, worried about it because I don't, I, I've not liked her in the past, but she's fine. You know, it's 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 worth seeing, I think. But that's not much of a recommendation. Yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of a one recommendation when, you know, it's a director who you're really, really excited about, yeah. about their next movie. So, so okay, but we should do some some spoiling and some plot summary before we start taking apart the movie. And in order to do that, you've actually brought in, I see, a 14-point plan. Yes, uh, I took, uh, taking a cue from uh, Woodrow Wilson, I've drawn up a 14-point plan of trying to understand this movie uh, in a Microsoft Word document here. And I, I don't uh, think I've succeeded. My, my point number seven just has two question marks after it. That's a flashback that I didn't remember anything about until I think you remind, reminded me yeah, what, what happened there. Yeah, it's hard to reconstruct. I mean, we should we should start by saying, as if you don't know it from the trailers and the buzz already, that this is a kind of a corporate espionage thriller, right? So there's right. lots of uh, there's lots of spy versus spy kind of stuff where you're not quite sure who's betraying whom. Right. Apparently, we were just talking about this. There's a New Yorker piece that's a profile of Tony Gilroy, the writer and director, that mentions that Steven Spielberg dropped out of this project, which he was involved with as a producer at one point, Largely because he couldn't understand the plot. And right. He couldn't he get a... anyone to sit him down and walk him through a chronology of who was actually doing what to whom. And I have to say that that sort of impressed me that, that Spielberg really cared enough about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a way he maybe made the right call because I think in the end there are too many uh, surprises and reversals in this movie. And it, it sort of leaves the person not so much thrilled at the end when you are learning these uh, – seeing these twists and turns but just sort of fatigued by them. And I think that – I sort of felt fatigued by all the uh, – one-upsmanship in terms of who was who was plotting what against whom. Um, yeah, to me the problem wasn't the number of surprises and reversals, but just the fact that they never came together in any satisfying way. But let's right. try to talk through what actually happened. So we start okay. off, we've got these two spies who at the beginning are not corporate spies. They're right. actually working for their respective governments. Right, right. Julia, Julia Roberts, Roberts is a CIA is working, agent. Yeah, and, um, and Clive Owen is working for MI6. And they meet, uh, and this is kind of fascinating, another thing from the New Yorker article is that I guess this opening scene was something that the studio forced... Gilroy to shoot, and he wasn't going to have even this sort of basic introduction where we meet, first meet the characters and learn that they're spies. And I think the movie would have been even more confusing uh, otherwise. So they first meet, uh, we're told, in uh, July of 2003 uh, at an embassy cocktail party of some sort, um, and uh, Clive Owen's character named Ray tries to pick up uh, Julia Roberts' character who's named Claire, and there's some, you know, they have a little bit of uh, repartee at the cocktail party, and then the next thing we know, they've seemingly slept together. He's knocked out uh, on the bed. We learn later that he's been drugged by Claire, and Claire uh, finds some uh, sensitive documents uh, that have been taped to the bottom of the bed involving some kind of Egyptian codes, and essentially she has 
slept with him, but essentially played him uh, and in order to steal secrets. We never really learned much about what exactly was at stake in that first interaction, right? But, the, but it's a pure MacGuffin. It doesn't really matter. I mean, essentially, right. the, you're just setting up that she's so so sneaky that she will drug the guy that she just slept with to take his state secrets away, right? Exactly, and, and that he feels very there. he feels obviously betrayed by this, and he he later will explain. I think that it, uh, as you might imagine hurt his uh, his chances of promotion with an MI6, the fact that he was so easily uh, duped out of his codes uh, by this CIA agent. So that's, our fir- so that's the first meeting of the two people. Then I think we jump forward to the present time. And um, Ray and Claire are no longer working for uh, these intelligence agencies. Now they're both in the private sector working uh, as uh, industrial spies for different pharmaceutical companies. And there's some kind of drop that needs to happen where the two of them need to meet. And it's not clear to the viewer what exactly the drop entails. But um, Ray's character goes to Grand Central Station and he, is, he knows he's supposed to meet a contact, but he doesn't know it's going to be Claire. But then he sees Claire and says, oh, no, it's her. And she sees him and tries to – and also sort of realizes that it's this guy from her past and she tries to make a getaway – and he tra- tracks her down and ends up confronting her in, I believe, Lord and Taylor, uh, in, the, in like the perfume department of Lord and Taylor. And they have this exchange. They have this long sort of somewhat stilted exchange in which Julie Roberts either doesn't remember that she slept with this guy or is pretending not to remember it. Right. And you can't figure out which of the two it is. Right. It's, it's hard to describe, but it's a very, very stagey sort of retro feeling scene right. that, that sticks out from the rest of the movie, which is key because, as it turns out, as the movie goes on and this espionage plot unfolds... Um, the same exact scene, word for word, will be repeated in various years and in various places. And that's right. is every bit as alienating as it, as it sounds and kind of as intriguing as it sounds. Certainly the first time you hear it uh, repeated. The, f- the first time you hear it at all, it's kind of weird because it goes on for so long, you almost do start to wonder, well, does Julia Roberts just sleep with so many men from MI6 and steal their Egyptian codes that she really doesn't remember uh, this whole encounter? And that It's a little confusing. But then... Uh, you realize that she is just sort of – she's just lying. Um, but then the first time th- – then the plot kind of goes forward for a little bit. And then we zoom back, uh, I think, two years to Rome and we realize that the, the the conversation they had in Lord and Taylor is not – they didn't have it for the first time in Lord and Taylor because that's the first time we hear that conversation repeated, right? Right. He's having a – he's suavely having a cappuccino in right. the piazza something or other. And he starts chasing her down the streets of Rome, this woman that he slept with in Dubai two years ago at this point. Right corners her on the street and then they proceed to have the exact same conversation line for line where she says i'm sorry i can't place your face and whatever words he says right he, he there's has one his... thing i'm really solid on and that's people i've slept with right he's like, i'm not good with names i'm not right me. i'm not good at names I'm not good with faces but people i've slept with i usually am a b b minus in terms of remembering them um and so you as a viewer you're seeing this exchange happen again and you're like wait what is going on here so they how, do how do they know each other before you know there must have been some um, relationship after Dubai that we don't know about after Dubai, but before Grand Central Station that we don't know about, and then that the relationship between the two of them is, I guess, then developed um, over the course of several other flashbacks throughout the movie, and each flashback is getting closer to the present day. Now, here's my question: jumping outside the movie and just you know being a viewer talking about it a week later, why did they have to have that exact same dialogue? I mean, over the course of the movie, it does develop eventually that the two of them are in love. We're not exactly sure at what point they stopped being you know these adversarial spies who slept with each other and stole each right. other's secrets and became these lovers who were scheming to take down you know this this um, 
to essentially steal a very valuable secret from one of these pharmaceutical companies, right? right. But at some point along this chronologically staggered plot, that happened, right? right? Um, we never really know quite why, though. They decided that they have to re-script this conversation in case they're being recorded so that people think that they don't know each other. I guess yeah, that's the idea, That's right? the idea. I think ostensibly they want it to seem like uh, as, as obvious – they want it to be as uh, convincing as possible that, um, that they – uh, I, don't, I don't really – I mean, to be honest, I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. I think your description is about as close as you can get. It, it seems more like the kind of thing where Tony Gilroy was like, I wonder if I can pull off having them have this conversation four times in the movie. Well, that's the thing is that the first hour of the movie is, is sort of exciting, not only because it's got all kinds of you know fun espionage and this great kind of retro music by James Newton Howard as the composer. It sort of sounds like an old Hitchcock movie yeah. or an old Bond movie. And you know, there's like a lot of, of, of fun, duplicitous spying energy in the first hour or so. But the problem is that when you set this many puzzle pieces up – you know, they better fit together at right. some point. And I sort of feel like, except in perhaps the mind of Tony Gilroy, they never really did. And all the puzzle pieces just sort of get thrown up in the air at the end. Right. For example, well, let's let's go ahead as long as we're spoiling and let's spoil what the corporate espionage secret is that everyone's running around. Sure. After. Well, we should. Yeah. I mean, maybe we haven't even described enough of what exactly the, the plot is. But so there, there are these two uh, pharmaceutical companies and at the head of one is Tom Wilkinson. At the head of the other is uh, Paul Giamatti. Both awesome in the movie. Both fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and the opening credit sequence, which we forgot to talk about, is actually this sort of failed fist fight in slow motion between Paul Giamatti and Tom Wilkinson, which is just glorious. That so might be worth the price of admission in and of itself. Before when we were talking about whether or not it's worth seeing, like, I would actually go see it for that title sequence. I think it's really funny and great. Um, but anyway, these two uh, these two guys at the heads of these two pharmaceutical companies, it's sort of it's sort of like a Procter Gamble uh, lever kind of situation, but it's more it's almost played more like, you know, uh, Coswell Coggs versus Spacely Sprockets kind of uh, rivalry. It's like sort of loopy the way that these guys are uh, so in competition. And it turns out that um, we're led to believe that Wilkinson's character has found some amazing new product that they're going to bring to market very soon, and Paul Giamatti's character is trying desperately to figure out what it is. All right, so before we get to the big reveal of exactly what that pharmaceutical formula is, uh, I'm going to throw it over to you, John, for a, um, a recommendation from our sponsor, which, as you know, if you've been hearing the last few spoiler specials, we now have a sponsor, Audible.com, which is the number one source of audio entertainment on the web. And we have a deal with Audible right now. If, if you sign up for a trial membership through us, through our page, which is www.audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, you get a free audiobook, which you get to keep even if you give up your membership after the two-week trial session. So go there and check it out. So what we've been doing is recommending an audible, an audiobook um, based on the theme of this week's spoiler. So, John, you've got one for Duplicity, I understand. I do, and uh, this is going to seem like it's totally unrelated, but I promise it is. I recommend that uh, you download uh, from Audible and listen to The Odyssey by Homer. Uh, which uh, I have I have done, and uh, it's a fantastic um, experience. This, uh, the Odyssey was obviously an oral tradition originally. Uh, it was meant to be heard uh, instead of read, and it is a rip-roaring story. And it occurred to me uh, to mention in the context of talking about this movie because a Gil- one of the things Gilroy is trying to do here is uh, use all these flashbacks and play with the chronology um, to tell a sort of, to b- tell a better story and to, to keep the uh, surprises coming and. As we've been discussing, I don't quite think he pulled off what he meant to. Um, but Homer, man, that guy—he knew how to—he uh, he knew how to use a flashback. And uh, he should have script doctored on duplicity. He told, oh, he would have been, yeah, he would have made the movie fifteen to twenty percent better. Uh, just one week of work. So I highly recommend it. There are several different um, translations and uh, both abridged and unabridged versions available on Audible.com. And uh, I know it sounds like homework, but you will totally enjoy listening to it. It's uh, it's very very fun. So we should spoil what is this new product that Wilkinson's company is going to bring out. It's kind of a clever th- uh, idea. 
Yeah, it's actually, and it's actually spoiled at a, at a great point in the movie. I mean, you find out far enough along in the movie that it, it is it is sort of satisfying when you find out it's a baldness cure. It's right. like a shampoo that will cure baldness, right. which in light of Michael Clayton, we were just laughing about how sort of frivolous that corporate secret is compared with the sort of horrible agribusiness secret at right. the heart of, of Michael Clayton. And yet it's brilliant because it's exactly the kind of product that you can imagine uh, people, you know, sp- doing this kind of ridiculous level of spying about because it would be worth billions of dollars. Right. In the it'd market. be like Viagra, the new Viagra. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so that's a kind of a, that's kind of a fun thing. And at a certain point, uh, you know, we we are we do know that that is that is a secret. But that's you know, as it turns out, that's only one uh, level of of duplicity. Uh, there, there turns out to be another reveal later in the movie. Should we should we spoil sure. that one too? So it turns out that in fact there is no baldness cure, and this entire thing, the, the last reveal is that this entire plot that you've been at this point watching for probably a hundred minutes was all elaborately conco- concocted by Tom Wilkinson's character. Essentially, I think just to make Paul Giamatti's character look stupid. If I, right, if I'm I think it the, the corporate competition between these two CEOs is so intense that he's actually gone to huge amounts of trouble and expense just to to fake the other guy out, right, right. and embarrass him because Paul right. Giamatti announces that he has the cure for baldness after stealing after it. After stealing it, and yeah, and he does so at this uh, another great scene. He does he does this at a, a sort of shareholder convention, and Giamatti sort of mugging for his shareholders and announcing that he has this great new product that he's. Uh, deviously stolen from his from his competitor he doesn't announce that he's stolen it but we know that um and then at that moment we uh you know gilroy sort of uh flashes back i think 10 days prior and shows us tom wilkinson kind of plotting with a cabal of uh people uh including someone who's a mole within the uh group of of uh corporate espionage people on the other side so there's like a mole within the mole i mean it's, it's really it turns out to be really complicated but you sort of get that the whole thing is Wilkinson's been been the puppet master the whole time. And in fact, what's weird about that is that you you sort of go into this movie thinking that this is a love story about Clive Owen and Julia Roberts. But the movie, at the end, you're sort of like, well, wait, like their whole romance was sort of all just kind of set up by this other by this other guy. And really, it, it wasn't they, you thought that they were masterminding this plan, but in fact, they weren't. And this kind of takes a weird focus off of the, the main characters in a way. I don't I know that I ever felt that their, their love had been set up by Tom Wilkinson. I don't think there was any way that he could make that happen. But Right. But I just it's like all of a sudden the movie's not really about that. It's about it's about something else. Uh, it's about more about – it's as much about the rivalry between these two guys as it is between the sort of budding love between uh, Ray and Claire. I don't but know. I actually thought that reveal, the Tom Wilkinson reveal at the end, that he masterminded the whole thing and there was no cure for baldness could have been immensely satisfying if we had just at that moment been able to see all the steps along the way. Like, you know, at the end of The Sixth Sense how right. – you find out that he's really dead, and then there's this moment that you can go and reread the whole movie in your mind. So you have a great coffee conversation afterwards because you're like putting all the puzzle pieces in place. Well, how could he have that conversation? Well, how could he do this? Right. And that to me would be it would be impossible to perform that operation on duplicity. Yeah, I think they're just um, there. It's there are too many moments of confusion, and uh, yeah, it just it wasn't. It didn't cast the whole. It, it sort of cast the whole movie in a different light, but not one where you really were dying to go sit through it again and kind of uh, enjoy your knowledge of what was really going on. It was just sort of like, oh, I get it. I see. One more turn. Well, so we don't end on such a such a sad and wan note. Let's talk about a couple of the good things about duplicity. What what did you like about it, and why were you glad you saw it? Um, well, I mean, the the aforementioned title sequence was really great, and one thing that was kind of neat about that is that it had this. Uh, I thought in a lot of ways Gilroy played with the timing uh, and the flashbacks too much. But the, one of the really neat things is you, we never were quite sure when that opening sequence happened. And I thought that was kind of a, a neat piece of uncertainty that he left me with. You it's, mean the it, fight between the Jumaati fight, and Yeah, Wilkinson. the fight between Jamadi and Wilkinson. It, it, in terms of when you're watching the movie, it's the second thing you see. But it would make sense as a sort of like 
something that's just supposed to set up their rivalry. It also makes sense as what happens the day after, essentially, the movie ends when, when Jamadi has a chance to confront Wilkinson about this elaborate ruse that Wilkinson set up. And it works either way, and I kind of like that. And again, it's just such a pleasure to watch. Well, it turns their rivalry into some sort of eternal... Right, battle that could be happening, raging right. at any point during the complex. Right, and it's shot in slow motion, and like there, the like Wilkinson's jowly face is kind of flapping, and Jamadi is like fighting dirty. It just it's very very funny, and there are no words in it. It's just it's really kind of brilliant. Well, it winds up being kind of a wonderful takeoff on every you know sort of knockout action sequence you've ever seen with two big action heroes, just because they're these two middle aged guys, kind of a vastly different physical proportions right. going at it. Right. All right. Well, John, thank you very much for joining me for this slate spoiler special. Oh, my pleasure. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.